0: Let's turn now to First Peter chapter one, verses twenty-two through twenty-five. First Peter one, twenty-two to twenty-five. I've t- titled this message Hallmarks of Brotherly Love. Hallmarks of Brotherly Love. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand just out of reverence for the Word of God as we listen to His voice in it and submit ourselves to what He says to us. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word that's living and active and powerful. And we open our hearts to be penetrated by it today. We open our ears to hear and understand. And we ask that you would give us feet to obey. Hearts even not only to understand, but to delight in your word to us. Because what you say and what you command is for our good always. And so we ask that you would speak your word. By your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory. I ask you' to move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today for Christ's sake. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, I'll begin with the question: What is required of the church in this season of time? What is required of the Church of Jesus Christ in this season of time? or to uh, shed a different light on that, perhaps, or look through more specific lenses. What's required of the church at a time when evil appears to prevail, when moral perversion is celebrated, when the ways of God are opposed and even mocked, when the government is openly, brazenly hostile toward Christians? I'm speaking, of course, about the season of time when the first generations of Christians lived. Spread throughout the Roman Empire in the first century. And I realize, of course, also that we may recognize some similarities to our own day. I did that to you on purpose. But even as we recognize, perhaps, some similarities in the things that I just described, you can be sure that the evil and the perversion and the opposition and the hostility that those first century Christians knew is far uh, exceeding, uh, or rather, uh, what what they, yeah, sorry, what they experience far exceeds what we experience. That's what I'm trying to say. What, What we think that we see in the way of evil does not compare to the evil that Christians lived in in the in first century roman empire what we think we experience or witness or even foresee in the way of hostility on the part of the culture at large or on the part of the government it does not compare to what first century christians saw and experienced Which is to say, um, they can relate to those circumstances better than we can, and they can appreciate the question better than we can. What is the church to do in that kind of climate? What's required of the church in that sort of hour? Well, I want to From time to time, continue to bring that question back in front of us because that's exactly what Peter is addressing. He's not he's not answering that question directly in this letter um, or even in this message. I mean, he doesn't he's not really specifically kind of given a battle plan per se, but he's writing to a church with general instructions for Christians in a time that is exceedingly wicked and hostile toward Christians. And so if we really want to know the answer to that question, beloved, here's a good place to start. In 1 Peter. What direction does he give to the church? And again, I I want to begin there because many of us have an answer to that question. What's required of the church in this hour? And very often, um, we hear from evangelicals that the answer is the church needs to wake up, stand up, speak up. And those things very well may be required. In fact, I would concede that in some measure at least they are required. But I also want to point out to you, you'll not hear any of those from Peter. To a first century church living in the midst of more egregious evil, and more violent hostility than probably you and I will ever know in our lifetime. That doesn't mean that um, some other uh, action on our part in the way of speaking up and taking action and so forth aren't required. In fact, I'll I'll say just sort of parenthetically, let me step over here in my parentheses so you'll know uh, kind of where this fits in the whole equation. But the reality is that answer is 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 complicated or complex uh, in, in other words, what should Christians do in light of the culture you know that we're living in and so forth and the circumstances as they are that uh, a clear answer is harder to come up with uh, many times what what evils are we supposed to stand against and speak against? Um, what action are we to take and so forth that that's that is complex. I don't want ever to uh, sound as if in a half-hour sermon, I'm oversimplifying that, or it's uh, a choice of one course of action over another, or that sort of thing. It, it actually is quite complicated, and what, um, or quite, quite complex anyway. And for example, we can look and see how the first century church was uh, instructed and directed, and how they conducted themselves but what might peter or paul say uh, to a to christians living in a constitutional republic who have uh influence in the culture who have a uh, uh their citizens and they have a vote and a voice and so forth what might he say to that uh, citizenry 2000 years after the gospel has actually made an impact and transformed civilizations uh well that's probably complex and, how, and, and harder to um, unpack. I'm simply saying that because I'm going to step over here and we're going to look at what 1 Peter says because even if there is uh, more that we ought to do, even if it's, there's some wake up and stand up and speak up kind of action we need to take, we cannot, beloved, do any less than what the Bible explicitly commands of us. Um, and what this morning's message would say is we certainly can't get turn our hostility toward each other out of a desire to mobilize one another to act right because we're told in this passage to do the very opposite of that. If those parentheses prove not to be helpful at all, well, you can just delete them altogether. That's why I why I stepped over there. But as I said, we we, we really do have to give heed to what Peter says specifically and explicitly, and he's had some specific and explicit commands to the church living in an evil and hostile world. And he said so far, set your hope fully in future grace be holy in all of your conduct conduct yourselves with fear throughout all the time of your exile and then today the imperative is love one another with brotherly love what's required of the church in this hour love one another with brotherly love there might be more than that required, but there is not less. There is not less, and it's a reminder that God's answer to the world's evil was love. I, I know this is this risks sounding like you know what the world needs now is love, sweet love, and I uh, and I wouldn't dare. Uh, But that's not being sort of poetic or overstating the issue at all. God's answer to the evil in the world was love. God's answer to your evil and mine was love. You remember, I actually was citing that from from Ephesians chapter 2 last week. You were dead at trespasses and sins in which you once walked according, according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, you were friends with God's enemy. And then comes the best but in the Bible. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, made you alive. God's answer to the world's evil was love. And guess what, friends? Our answer as God's people to the world's evil is love. That is the way he intended it. It's the way he's explicitly revealed it. And that's his word to us right now. We are redeemed by love for love. That's his intention for making a people of himself that by by love and by his grace, he makes a people for himself in order that love might be demonstrated to the world through his people. Well, I, I, that sort of sets the stage, but I'll say kind of further before we just get into it and unpack this very briefly. I mentioned a time or two that our congregation is known more than anything else. For its love. Uh, and and I I I've said this before, but I've heard it more times than I can count from visitors. It is single-handedly, uh, overwhelmingly, the thing that people point to that said they that it it kept them coming back and even led them to join or that kind of thing the love of this congregation. It's affirmed week after week after week as people, who, some of whom I was just praying for in general terms, who are sick or grieving or otherwise in need, are cared for by this family of faith. I hear it almost every week that people without being told or encouraged or directed are, are reaching out and caring for one another lovingly so whenever it comes time to preach to this church on the subject of loving one another i immediately think of first thessalonians 4 verses 9 and 10 he says now concerning brotherly love you have no need for anyone to write to you you have no need for anyone to preach to you but i'm gonna anyway for you yourselves have been taught by god how to love one another For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You have have no need of anyone to write to you about brotherly love. But I urge you to do so more and more. Uh, With the assurance that in a dark hour in which we live, it'll become more necessary, not less. That the world would know that we are Jesus' disciples by our love for one another. That simply the way we love and care for one another itself would testify to the world of a loving and holy and gracious God. Do so more and more. So what are the hallmarks? What is it when when people come and they are blessed by and, 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 and experience something of a... Of a lasting love of a of a, a sort of unforgettable love that's attractive to them, what is it that they notice about you all? What are the hallmarks of that brotherly love? I want to point out three things here from uh, these few verses in first Peter, and the first is that brotherly love is sincere sincere he says that. Um, Right in the first part of uh, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. That is our, our response to the truth of the gospel, saying yes and believing in Jesus and obeying him, conforming our lives to him, saying yes, I'm going to follow him. We've been purified for a sincere brotherly love. That word sincere literally means without hypocrisy. That, that The Greek word is literally means without hypocrisy. Not fake or phony love. So take the mask off, so to speak. Maybe you've been in a church where there was a lot of phony love, fake love on Sunday, and a lot of, gossiping and backbiting that started first thing Monday morning. If you haven't ever been to a church like that, well, thank the Lord for that. That's one of the things you can, you can be thankful for today. But it is to say, that the idea of a hypocritical love is not just theoretical. There are people who will do that. Put a mask on, act one way, uh, and then what's really in their heart is something altogether different. He says, love sincerely, love without hypocrisy. It's the word Paul uses when offering similar instruction to the church at Rome. And there, in that uh, in his letter there, pause a little bit more descriptive of what love looks like. I want to read uh, the passage there from Romans 12, verses 9 through 16. I'm not going to try to preach that passage here, but just... Uh, be impressed by uh, the number of ways in which brotherly love, a sincere brotherly love expresses itself. It says, let love be genuine. That's the word right there without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love the way that's phrased. It's not worded that way in all translations. But wow, what can you imagine how edifying that discipline would be if everybody just committed to honor their brothers and sisters more than they were honored by their brothers and sisters? Outdo one another in showing honor. Anybody want to make a bumper sticker of that for 2024? (laughs) Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. There's a whole lot there, isn't there? That's a snapshot of how sincere brotherly love expresses itself among the people of God. One of the hallmarks of brotherly love and one of the things I believe that people who encounter this congregation for the first time or for the first season of time perhaps begin to see more and more is true of you all. Second hallmark of brotherly love is that it's earnest Earnest, he uses that word earnest and uh, from a pure heart. But earnest suggests fervency and intensity, perhaps. Some translations translate it deeply, love one another deeply. The words used uh, twice elsewhere in the New Testament and both times to describe prayer. And this is an interesting observation as well to help us understand perhaps what it means to love one another earnestly, with a, with a sort of intensity and a fervency. In Luke 22:44, it says of Jesus in the garden, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like the great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus, in that hour of intense darkness, talk about evil and hostility coming your way. Never has it been expressed any any more greatly than on the cross of Christ. And he prayed more earnestly. That's the word. Acts 12, 5. Peter had been imprisoned for his preaching of the gospel and it says Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And so Peter who was delivered from prison through the church's earnest prayer is now calling upon the church to demonstrate toward one another an earnest love. It's, it's not only sincere but it's Intense and fervent and deep and abiding. In both cases uh, that we just looked at from Jesus' moment in the garden and Peter's imprisonment, the intensity of the situation called for an intensity of prayer. And again, we might say likewise what Peter's writing to the church is the intensity of of the adversity that they face as, the first, as first century Christians cause for a deep and earnest love for one another. It did for them, and it does for you and me as well. And then finally, the third hallmark of brotherly love is that it's Enduring. Enduring. Verse 23 through 25 really speak to this, so this is not a word that's, that's stated explicitly here, but this is clearly the implication uh, that, that Peter makes in verses 23 through 25, because he says to do that, love, uh, love one another with a sincere brotherly love, earnestly and from a pure, uh, pure heart. Verse 23, since you've been born again, not, by, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And take note of this last phrase. This word is the good news that was preached to you. The way Peter is, is using the word word is he's speaking of the word of the gospel specifically. Good news. That was preached to you. And so here's how the thought uh, chains together that the gospel, the seed of truth planted in you, took root and gave life to you and bore fruit in you. And as that word is abiding, it is living, you see that language, and abiding. It is eternal, everlasting. And so we have as the fruit of that everlasting life. And we are to love one another with an everlasting sort of love, a love that abides, a love that endures, a love that doesn't end among one another because the word that gave life, that gave birth to that love in us never ends. It's an enduring kind of love. No matter the ups and downs, no matter the pure, the valleys that we go through together as a people, no matter what calamity befalls us as a uh, society, as a nation, as a city, at at whatever level. Our love for one another is to endure it because the truth that gave uh, life to that love is an enduring truth. Our our love for one another is sincere, it's earnest, and it's enduring. I share that today because Peter said it. (laughs) You know how this goes. We just work our way through it, and the message of the text is hopefully something close to the message of the sermon. But I would say, too, that is a really, really timely word for us, and whatever 2024 and 2025 or this season of life we live in, whatever else it calls for us to do, whatever more it calls for from us, it cannot be less than a sincere, earnest, enduring love for one another. It is by that that they will know we are his disciples indeed. He never says, it is by the stand that we take, although we have to take a stand. It is not even by the proclamations or declarations of truth or speaking out against evil that he says we'll be known as his disciples, although that may be necessary. They will know we are his disciples because we love one another. So my exhortation to this supremely loving congregation is that maybe especially right now that we'd be reminded to do so more and more. Let's pray together. Lord, we can never say thank you enough times or with exactly the right words to express our gratitude that while we were enemies and dead in our trespasses and sins, you, because of your great love for us, raised us to newness of life and shed abroad in our hearts a love for you and for one another. So we thank you, Lord, that you are the author of that inside of us. And we thank you, Lord, that that sort of love, this brotherly love that is sincere and enduring and and, and earnest, Lord, that that has expressed itself so consistently in the life of this congregation. I am personally... So thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, for allowing each one of us to be a part of a fellowship of whom that's true. Lord, we just pray that you would show us in really specific ways at particular moments in the coming weeks and months how to do so more and more. That our enduring everlasting love, as it were, would reveal something of the everlasting God who birthed it in us that others might be drawn to Jesus and receive everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, and pray that you would make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.